the book of Proverbs, it's filled with all kinds of these bite-sized nuggets of wisdom. And, and the goal of them is to help us learn what it takes to win uh, in the game of life. Um, in chapter 6 of Proverbs, there's the father, and he is trying to drop some knowledge um, into his son, who is kind of coming of age. He's getting ready to spread his wings and, and, and go out and venture off into the great big wide open world on his own. And so he, he warns him and he tells him, do not steal. Uh, don't take what doesn't belong to you. And particularly, he specifically applies that to the issue of another man's wife. Um, now, now, there's many reasons why that proverb is extremely sound advice. Some of the soundest advice you may ever come across in life, uh, but in this case, in Proverbs chapter 6, the reason comes down to simple self-preservation. Uh, he explains that jealousy makes a man furious, and he, meaning the husband, will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse it even though you multiply gifts. In other words, what he's saying is, is once you cross that line, once you cross that, that boundary line, you turn into a marked man. And, and there's certain lines in life that when you cross them, it puts you in the line of fire, of fury, of wrath, and, and brings you to a place where, where no mercy can be offered and, and no help uh, is available. So he's kind of saying, stay away from that. Uh, to use another illustration, uh, an outdated illustration, because those are the best ones that I have. Um, there's a song called The Coward of the County. It's a great song by the late, great Kenny Rogers, and he is one of the very few country artists that I listen to. If you've never listened uh, to Kenny Rogers' greatest hits after church, do yourself a favor. Um, go home, put that on, listen to Coward of the County, and then leave it on and listen to the rest of it. it it's, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Uh, but that song, it tells the story of this strapping, strong young man. His name is Tommy. And, and Tommy, at age 10, had promised his father, who was in prison for life, that he wouldn't fight the way his father had, that, that he'd walk away from trouble. And so to honor that, that promise, Tommy every day restrains himself. He, he walks away every time trouble comes to him, so much so that he gets labeled by the people around town, Tommy's a coward. Tommy's just a yeller, you know? Um, but then something happens. Uh, one day, the, the Gatlin boys show up, and, and they do something absolutely horrible to Becky, who is the love of Tommy's life. And then in the final verse of the song, it's about Tommy walking into the bar room where the Gatlin boys are hanging out. And, and this time, instead of walking back out the door, he goes to the door and he locks it. Then he goes back and he proceeds to pound the cranberries out of each and every one of them. And, and there's something so satisfying about that, um, so right about that. And to this day, I got to tell you, when I hear the final verse of that song, something wells up in my heart and resounds in me and says, yes! Um, the point being, there are times when wrath is right. There's times when wrath is right. And, and I think what resounds in us is because the way that song ends is the way all of our stories are intended to end. 
right? Our, our stories can't end. They don't fully resolve before what's wrong has been made right until the score somehow gets settled and, and justice gets done. That's it's kind of the resolution that needs to happen, not, not only in our lives, but, but in our world as well. And, uh, and so there's this chorus in heaven that's just a little bit like that song. Um, it's found in Revelation chapter 15, and we're going to make our way through it this morning. Uh, we're walking through a series called Stranger Things. We are working through the very deep end of the book of Revelation. And, uh, you know, just disclaimer right up front, if you're new here, we, this is some strange material. It's some of the strangest passages in the entire Bible. But as we're taking the time to unpack it and to see what's in there, I think we're finding, aren't we, that, that it gives us a perspective that, that, that we need in, to, to, to live right now um, in a world that's gone wrong. And, and here's the point, is what we feel for justice, that what rises up in our hearts for justice, that, that pales in comparison to God's zeal for it, all right? Um, before we dive in, I need to update you on something that uh, I said last week, um, because I kind of got myself in a little bit of trouble, um, not really trouble, but I had intentions last Sunday of sharing a movie quote that I specifically found and came up with and I thought fit so perfectly, but I didn't. And, and, and here, the problem is the reason I didn't, because I, Sunday morning I'm going through the sermon and I'm having this moment where I'm realizing how old the movie is that I wanted to quote. <laughs> and I came to terms with how much of a dinosaur I have become and just like feeling like there is no way I can share this quote. And so, and so I bailed on the reference, but then when I got home Sunday afternoon, Diane said, you didn't mention the movie reference, but she said, but you quoted it, and you know what happened? It just came off like bad grammar. And I'm like, oh. If you need honest feedback, ask your spouse, right? That's a good thing. Um, so anyway, so now I've got to fix that, and, um, and here it goes. So ready or not, here we comes. Um, the quote came from the one and only legendary Dr. Teeth. Um, if you don't know who he is, he is the band leader of the Electric Mayhem from the original Muppet movie. Okay, we are going way back here this morning. And so there's a point in the movie, I'm telling you, you got to stay with me, it's good. Um, they're trying to figure out what to do next. And, and so Dr. Teeth decides, I'm going to take out the... The, the movie script, and I'm going to read it, and then we'll find out what to do next, right? And he calls it uh, a narrative of very heavy-duty proportions, which I used also last week. You probably didn't catch that one, but that's not what I'm talking about, because he gets to the scene with him in it, and he's reading it, and then he stops, and he turns to his friends, and he says, which am us? Which am us? You know, it's the Dr. Teeth kind of voice, and um, that was the quote. Which am us? So I used that last week when we were looking at Revelation and the part how the dragon uh, was at war with the rest of the woman's offspring. And I said, which am us? Which is terrible grammar uh, when it's out of context. Okay, so glad we cleared that up. Um, but I will add to the passage, since we're here, I can't stop now, right? Um, today's passage is going to reference frogs. Okay, so there are so many connections between the Muppet movie and Revelation, 
that I think what it is, it's comparable to kind of what the Wizard of Oz is to the dark side of the moon. Some of you know what that means, some of you don't. Forget I said any of that. Um, I promise I will desperately try from this point forward to get my illustrations out of the Stone Age because you guys deserve better. You know, I am so stuck in the 80s. And uh, I know what you're thinking now. You're saying the strangest thing about this series is what I'm learning about what goes on inside of my pastor's head. And that is, that is to quote Dr. Teeth, too true, too true. Um, but uh, anyway, let's jump in, and we're going to just read through Revelation chapter 15. And uh, it'll be right here on the screen. It says this. Then I saw another sign in heaven. Great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying this, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. All right. So, um, so there's been this ongoing cry uh, throughout the book of Revelation. If you've uh, been with us, you've seen it. The martyrs, those who have been um, um, killed because of their testimony of Christ, they've been crying out to the Lord, how long? How long before you make right all of these wrongs that have been done to us? And the answer up to this point has been, not yet. Be patient. Hang on. Hold tight and wait just a little bit longer. You know, it, it, it always seems to take too long when it comes to, to making things right. But, but God, he's always right on time. And, and Second Peter actually tells us that what seems to us like a delay is actually an act of mercy on God's part because it's him leaving that door open just a little bit longer, just as long as he possibly can because the heart of God is not for anyone to perish but for all to come to repentance. Uh, but in this scene, the time has finally come. And that's what this is laying out. Justice is going to get done. And there's no way to sugarcoat this. Uh, what that means is that there is no justice without judgment. And sometimes we don't make that connection. You know, this is, this is where we're at. We all, we want justice, but not many of us want judgment. You know, we want justice maybe right up to the point where it starts impacting us on a personal level. Okay, stop. That's enough, God. Now from this point forward, we want grace, right? Um, but, but that's not how it works. 
and, and that's part of the problem. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. But, um, um, but, uh, but at the end of chapter 14, the previous chapter to this scene, uh, it told us about who it is that's singing this song, this chorus that's celebrating that God is going to make things right. Uh, is actually a very violent picture. We just looked at it very quickly last week, but it's about the grapes of wrath. I don't know if you know that that term comes from the Bible. Uh, and, uh, and, and so down on earth, the, the, the precious bride of Christ was getting ravaged by the beast. Um, God's faithful people, his church, were being persecuted and executed by the brutal Roman Empire, right? That was what was happening, but then they show us heaven's perspective. From heaven's perspective, their deaths were like grapes that were being harvested, gathered up to God's vineyard in heaven, and their blood that had been spilled uh, by those in authority had been slowly building and collecting into these heavenly wine presses. And here in chapter 15, it's flowing into these seven bowls of God's righteous wrath, and they're about to get poured out. It's taken a while, but the cups are filled, and they're about to get uh, poured out. So, so these are the ones who are singing this chorus. And, and the chorus, it's not a song about the amazing love of God. It's, it's a song about the amazing righteousness of God. Do, do you know that one? It's, it's not, yes, Jesus loves me. It's, it's more like, Yes, Jesus is committed to doing what's right. It celebrates the God who refuses to sweep all of the wrongs that have been done throughout the course of history under the carpet and pretend like, nope, you didn't see anything, that never happened. He's the one who's strong enough, who's holy enough, and who's righteous enough to do what has to be done, to do righteousness and justice. And, you know, songs like that, they may sound a little bit strange in, to us in the 21st century, you know, living in suburban America, fairly comfortable lives. You know, we're, we're very likely to hear things like this said in, in, in our culture today. I don't believe in a God who judges. I believe in a God who loves, right? Sounds great but you're pitting two things against each other that need to be paired together. A God who loves has to judge. Or love is not love, it's just sentimentality. As a matter of fact, the only way anyone wouldn't understand that is because they've not experienced a level of injustice that pretty much has been the norm throughout the world and throughout the course of human history. Even today, it's the norm in many places around the world. So if, if you're in regions of, of Africa and you've experienced ethnic cleansing, or if you're a Kurd and you're living in Iraq, that message about a God who judges, that, that means everything. Because just like these saints who had been slain, they know they are not going to see justice done this side of eternity. And what that means is that the only hope they have of their stories ever resolving is if there's some kind of justice that extends beyond the lines of their own lifetimes into eternity. As a matter of fact, this is really the only rationale that makes sense for any kind of nonviolence. 
right? If anyone says, you know, do not do violence, uh, then you've got to have some kind of something for justice to get done. And the Bible says, vengeance is mine. I'll take care of that, right? But, but this love and justice thing, it's not an either or, it's, it's a both and. God is just, just as much as he is love. And those attributes stay hand in hand. And we, we even see hints of that. It's allusions to that here in this passage. In verse 1, it describes these seven plagues as being the last ones. And it says, for with them, the wrath of God is finished. And I, I hear that phrase, is finished, and it kind of echoes to me a little bit. It kind of reminds us of those final words that Jesus spoke on the cross when he hung dying. He cried, it is finished. When he, when, what, what he finished there was paying the price for our redemption. He, he finished doing justice. And, and, and in love, he went to the cross and he died in our place. He let God's righteous wrath pour out on himself so it didn't have to pour out on you and on me. Because justice had to be done. And what that means is that there is, there must be a judgment day. But if you've responded in faith, if you've received what Jesus did on the cross out of love for you, what that means is that judgment day has already happened. It's past tense. Jesus experienced it for you in full. He did it out of love, and he offers it as a free gift that we receive by trusting in him and receiving it. And, and, and what he did there on the cross, it's understanding. He did that for me personally. Okay, so, so here's the thing, though. Jesus paid that price in full, but if you refuse to receive it, there's only one other option, and that is to pay for it yourself because the justice of God demands that price be paid, and it's the only way that our stories are ever resolved. Either Jesus pays it for us or we pay it ourselves, and so he waits and he delays dealing with it for so long, but at some point, the moment finally arrives and time runs out. And, and this chapter is showing that. This is the moment when time is running out. And so the saints, they start singing. And, and the very sanctuary of God, it fills with smoke. And the whole temple, the whole operation just shuts down. It gets put on pause until justice gets done, until these, these bowls of the righteous wrath of God get poured out. Not a pleasant picture. But if you think about it, there has to be some kind of compensation. Some kind of justice has to be done. And, and let's, let's read uh, what happens next. It says here that, um, then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like a blood of a corpse and every living thing died and was in the sea. That was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. And I heard an angel in charge of the waters say, just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments for they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. 
The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the, up on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for the pain and their sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and his water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. They are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on so that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple and the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and a great earthquake. And the great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away and no mountains were to be found and great hailstones about 100 pounds each fell from heaven on people and they cursed God for the plague of hail because the hail was so severe. All right, so we're just going to go very quickly through the bowls and the deals, details. And, 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 and once again, this is painting a picture that parallels uh, the Old Testament story of the Exodus. That's been an ongoing theme throughout Revelation of both deliverance on the one hand and, and, and justice and judgment on the other hand. And those both go side and side. And so there's a, there's, there's a plague of painful sores. Uh, then both the sea and the rivers are flowing with blood. The sun scorches. Darkness descends over the land. The great river Euphrates dries up, and, and that opens a path for the Parthians to invade. And, and they were the biggest military threat against the Roman Empire. And now the door is swinging wide open for them to come in and cross over. You'd expect that to be a threat, but what seems to be happening instead is that they're coming to fight not against each other, but to ally with each other, along with all the kingdoms of the world uh, that are being beckoned by these demonic frogs. And that is an allusion to Exodus. Uh, you have to read the Exodus story to get that, uh, to war against God Almighty in the Battle of Armageddon. All right, so we're going to have to wait and see how that battle turns out. Uh, but what we're seeing is this. There are lines that are firmly drawn. There are two sides. It's the beast or the lamb, and there are no other options. It's one or the other. It's either idols or the living God. And the final bowl takes us to the end where the declaration is made. All right, that's it. It is done. Justice has been served. Now the end can begin. Now the story can resolve. And, and with that, the earth quakes and the city splits and giant hailstones start falling from the sky. I don't have to tell you this is not a very pretty picture. But the point is pretty clear, isn't it? The idea is that if you get nothing else, that when justice hits, if you are not on the right foundation, everything is going to crumble and fall apart right in front of you. And what I want to focus on here is, is, is the responses, because there are both a, a chorus and, and there are curses that, that get voiced 
even as these judgments are rolling in. The chorus first, uh, there's this angel in heaven, and he sees the bowl that's flowing, the, the, the blood that's flowing uh, through the sea and through the rivers. And he responds, and he says, he says yes. And, and I think what he's doing, he's, he's expressing that same thing that wells up in my heart when I hear the last line of Coward of the County. Like, yes, this is so right. He says that. He says, Lord, you are right and you are just. And this is just a... It's a declaration that there is absolutely nothing about the justice, about the judgments of God that are over the top, that are excessive, that are out of line with what has been committed, when the offenses that have been committed. The judgments of God are always the exact right response. They fit perfectly. So the angel describes it as blood for blood. In other words, what he's saying is they spilled the blood of the saints so if it's blood they want, it's blood they're going to get. Now they got it coming out of their faucets, right? They turn the water on and there's blood coming out. It's in their water stream. They can swim in it. They want to shed blood that much, and that's what they get. He says, that's right. That, that fits. You know, the, the one thing that we can know um, that no one is ever going to walk away after facing the judgment of God Almighty and say, that wasn't fair. It will be the most fair moment in the course of your life, of your existence. We may never have a fair trial this side of the earth, but before God, we will. And then I love what happens next. It's this like, there's like this anonymous shout from the temple. We don't know who it's saying it, where it's coming from, but it kind of backs up the angel's declaration. He says, yes, Lord Almighty, true and just are your judgments. I think that's a heavenly way of someone hearing what's going on saying, yeah, yeah, boy, that's right. You know it. Uh-huh. Amen. You know, saying these judgments of God's are, are just. This is, this is what has to happen. This, the stories have got to resolve. Finally, they're resolving, and, and God can make, and he's making all things right again. So that's the one side, this, this celebration what heaven celebrates, though, what we see is that, that the earth counters with cursing, with curses, even, even as the foundations are collapsing between, beneath their feet, people are digging their heels in. And it says they, they curse the name of God instead of calling out to him. We see that time and time again. And, 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 and this is a picture of the grand delusion, right? Because you would think that at some point, something would have kicked in in their minds, the sores, the water, the sun, the hail. Hey, maybe God's trying to get my attention, right? Maybe I should give that some consideration. But that response just does not happen. This is, this is the grand delusion, and it is the lie of autonomy of autonomy. It's the lie that says, I am not accountable. I do not have to answer to anyone else but me. And so here it is. Heaven is worshiping while earth is cursing, and the universe is watching in disbelief at humanity's blatant lack of self-awareness. 
they just don't get it. They cannot read the room. This delusion that creation is somehow not accountable to creator, the sustainer, the redeemer. So please understand, this makes it perfectly clear that the story of this world is going to resolve and that reality is going to get dealt with. That injustice, justice is coming for that. And for those who maintain that posture of autonomous rebellion, the reality is that it's not going to end well. It's actually worse than that. It's a horrible ending. It's a tragic ending. There's, there's two phrases that many of us hear countless times every day. Maybe we say them countless times every day. And, and my, my thought is that they get said in very thoughtless ways. We don't give any thought to what we say. They're just kind of, we just repeat them. And, 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 and I just want to share that, you know, the Holy Spirit impressed in my heart a long, like decades ago, to never let these two phrases come out of my mouth, be a part of my vernacular without giving careful thought and consideration to what the implications are. So, so I want to share them with you, um, not to, you know, judge you in any way if this is kind of, you know, it, talking about you or, or this reflects you in any way, but to challenge you, to challenge us to consider them. The, the first one is this, what the hell? What the hell? Something happens, right? Doesn't make sense to me. Doesn't turn out the way I want. What the hell? That's, that's the prime response. Can I say that there is something terribly out of line about that? Because hell is not a word to throw around thoughtlessly. Because if I'm reading my Bible right, hell is a real place. It is an actual destination, and it's a horrible place. It's a place of eternal damnation. And this is not a game, and it's not a joke because scripture is clear. Hell is the destination that way too many people are going to be heading towards. People that I know, people that I care about, people that I love. See, what the hell takes us to issues of eternity? And let's not diminish that reality because I want every breath that I breathe to be about changing that address of people's eternal destination from hell to heaven. That's, that's like the purpose of my existence, right? Uh, there's a second phrase um, that I have just a strong sensitivity to. Oh my God. Oh my God. And I just never want God to be reduced to just filler in between thoughts, in between sentences, that's just, that's just so wrong um, because, oh my God, is bringing us to the most urgent reality in every one of our lives all the time because all of us are going to have to deal with him. Our God the living God, the one who created us, the one who sustains us, the one who died for us, the one who redeems us. Every one of us are going to stand before this God and give an account. You know, there's a line in that Kenny Rogers song that I love early on. It says, 
Something always told me they were reading Tommy wrong. They thought he was just a coward, but they were reading him wrong. And Tommy's not the only one who gets read the wrong way. A lot of people are reading Jesus the wrong way. They're, they're diminishing him and reducing him into some kind of cosmic pushover. Whatever happens, Jesus' response is, oh, that's okay, buddy. Are you okay? Let me brush you off. Don't, don't read him the wrong way because the lamb is a lion. And we're going to stand before him. We're going to meet him. We're going to answer to him as judge. And what that means for every one of us in this room is that the only, only hope we have on that day is that we've already meet him, met him and called on him as Savior, right? The cup of the wine of God's fury, these bowls, they're for real, they're dreadful, and they're so bad that Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he went to the cross and he prayed and he sweat tears of blood and he pled with the Father and he said this, if, if there's any way, let this cup pass for me. It's the same cups that we're seeing here in Revelation. But then he followed up and said, your will, not mine, be done. And he drank it. He emptied that dreadful cup of the wrath of God, God's righteous wrath. He drank it when he went to the cross, and he did it so you and I wouldn't have to. And, 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 and so believing and receiving what Jesus did, his salvation, that is the only hope that any of us have when these bowls start getting poured out. Do you have that? Do you have that confidence? Do you have that peace? You know, eternity, it hangs in the balance between these two phrases that oftentimes we just say them every day and reflect on them and just recognizing that uh, these are two realities that have to do with the way that our stories resolve because this story of human history is going to resolve. It's not going to just be ever hanging injustice for all of eternity. It is coming down to a moment when justice will be done. And it's a good story. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much uh, for 